All right. Wasn't that cool? Isn't that fun? I like to pray. That's cool. So, yeah, I don't mind that you cut into my sermon. It's not that good anyway. Um, <laughs> no. It's, it's okay. It's going to be a good message. I, actually, I was thinking this week, um, you know, Thanksgiving. I was just thinking this week. Um, man, I have a lot to be thankful for. And I started reviewing my history. You should do this. You know, I was a history major, so I just do this all the time. But I started reviewing my history. And I was like, wow, you know what? I am, I've experienced a lot of God's favor in my life. Even from a little boy, uh, I've, I've just, I've had a lot of favor from uh, finances to, to being in the right place at the right time, for people being nice to me, people giving me stuff. Um, I have experienced a lot of favor in my life. And how did, I, how, did I, how did it happen? How did I gain favor? And so that's, that's the topic. That's the title of the day is how do you gain God's favor? And it's actually kind of a, it's the wrong question to ask. I just want to come out and say it because you can't earn God's favor. Because if you are a child and a daughter of a son of God, you already have it. You've got God's favor. He wants to, he wants to bless you. He wants to favor you. Uh, sometimes he can't. Because we don't allow him to do so. We've got things in our life that hold back God's hand from blessing us. And so it's really, it's really not about doing things so God will, will favor us. It's more along the line, more along the thought that, okay, what things in my life are blocking God from favoring me? There's really only one thing that you can really do to earn God's favor, and it's faith. It's kind of like that big, giant, hazy word. But that's the only thing that you can really do to, to earn God's favor. So when you, have a, when you have that faith, the faith that the Bible requires, when you really, truly believe, uh, things will happen. Things will start to line up. Uh, favor and blessings will just start coming into your life. And unfortunately, a lot of us approach our faith and our relationship with God uh, as immature little children. Yeah, there's a, they got a joke. So there's these two kids. They go to Grandma and Grandpa's house uh, for Christmas. They're staying the night at Grandma and Grandpa's house. And these two boys, and, and they, they, they do their, their night prayers in, their, in, their, in the guest room. And the boy says, oh, God, I want that big, giant remote control monster truck. And, oh, God, I want, I want that new bicycle. And, God, I want the, the, the video game. And I want that action figure. And the brother says, the other brother says, Johnny, look, you don't need to be praying so loud. You know, why are you yelling your prayers out? Because God, he's not hard of hearing. And, and the younger brother says, I know, but grandma's in the next room, and she is hard of hearing. <laughs> All right? But this is how we do it. We just, we, we and there, there probably is some biblical model for annoying God until, until he blesses us. You know, we talked about the, you know, the persistent widow. But you see, Activating God or approaching God in order to get stuff from him is the wrong attitude to have. Uh, being a good little boy so God will bless you is not the right attitude to have. It's the wrong mentality. It's like you're entering into a relationship to get something out of it. Now, here's the thing. I mean, I do want to be favored by God. And the Bible says I am highly favored by God. And we know that God's a good God and he's not mean. In Psalms 35, it even says God delights in prospering his children. 
That's a pretty cool thing. You know, God's happy when he, when he prospers you. He wants to. He desperately wants to prosper you. But we do things that keep him from doing it. So this, we're going to kind of talk about it. But I, first of all, I need to get to the heart of it. I'm going to talk about favor and blessings, the different forms that it comes in next week. But today, I really need to get to the heart of it. And I was asking God, okay, God, I need a really good story. Like, what, what is, what's the best favor story that you got in the Bible? And there's a lot of them. I could go to the usuals like Joseph and things like that, but I've kind of been there, done that, right? Um, if you got your Bibles out, get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ruth. Ruth is it. Ruth is absolutely amazing. And it's kind of, you know, this is it's not a whole lot of stories about gals in the Bible, but this one's special. And uh, we're going to read the first part of the chapter one. We'll finish three and four next week, probably. Okay. Ruth, it's, uh, it's right after Judges, and it's right before Samuel, if you're looking for it. It's a little tiny book. It's, it's hard to find. Ruth, chapter one. Now, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malion and Kilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. That's not good. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malion and Kilian also died. That's not good. Like this story is bad and it's getting worse, right? And Naomi was left without her two sons and left without her husband. Then she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Naomi and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters, daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been li living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and they said to her, we will go back, uh, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home. My daughters, why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could be your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even though, even if I thought that there was hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and he gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. 
It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord has gone out against me. Interesting. And they wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. If you'd like to underline in your Bible, underline clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. You should go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that very poetic? We read that one at weddings, but we leave, we leave this part out. Here we go. Um, where you die, I will die. And I will be buried. Okay, may the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. All right, this is, you know what? This story is so powerful, and it, at this point, it's tragic. Like, Naomi's life is over. I mean, it's not just, you know, I'm not going to have fun anymore. She's going to die. She is a widow and she doesn't have any sons, and she's too old to marry again. She's too old to work, as we'll read about next week. She's got nothing going for her. It's as bad as it gets for Naomi. You thought you had it bad. This is as bad as it gets for her. And she's, she's what's she going to do? I mean, her last-ditch effort is to say, okay, I'm going to at least try to go back home. I'm going to at least try it and see. Maybe I can survive back home. But she... If you read further into the story, I want to encourage you to read the rest of Ruth. Again, it's a short book. But if you read through the story, you'll kind of read between the lines and you'll realize that uh, Elimelech, her husband that died, well, this was a family of means. This was, a, this was a named family. Like they were prominent. They had land. They were like royalty in a sense. Yet they'd lost it all. They'd squandered it all. They'd lost their land. They lost their inheritance. There was a famine in the promised land. Like things got bad in the land flowing with milk and honey. And then they left. They went to Moab. They went to another country. And usually when people leave the promised land, when, they, when they're not faithful and they go back, and they go back to Egypt or they go back to wherever they are, things usually don't go well. And so what's really going on here? And why, why, why is he being unfaithful? So what you'll see if you continue to read is that they, they lost their land. So she doesn't have a husband to provide for her. She doesn't have her sons to take care of her. She doesn't have her land or her inheritance to provide for her. All that she has is her name, her husband's name of Elimelech. And Elimelech translates into, God is my king. This is the time of judges. The David hasn't come around yet. He has this understanding, or at least the name, names are important, right? Names are very important in the Old Testament. And they gave him this name. You know, God is king, Elimelech. But here's another clue. Here's another insight into what's really going on. Elimelech, God is king, took his family out of the promised land. 
because things weren't hard, because God wasn't providing, because, you know, this wasn't adding up. So he's going to do things his way. And how, how can I really read into this? How can I really see it? And it's not just me. It's the commentators. His sons, Malion and Kilion. Doesn't those names sound kind of odd? You've know, got a, a Limelech, and then you've got Malion and Kilion. It has a different ring to it. It has a different tone to it. That's because those aren't good Jewish names. Those are Canaanite pagan names. What does that tell you? It tells you that Elimelech and his sons, I can't say the same about Naomi, but they sold out. They, they sold out to the surrounding culture, the influences, the pressures, the societal issues, saying that, look, if you want to be a part of this society, you have to act like Canaanites and be like Canaanites. Even name your sons after Canaanite gods. And so they sold out. They left the promised land, even though it got hard. They, they said, okay, look, I don't want to believe in the promise anymore. God, you're not coming through for me the way that I thought that you would. I'm going to do things on my own. I'm going to make my own money. And look, I'm going to die here, so I'm going to go. And here's the interesting thing. What they feared the most in the promised land actually happened to them in the land of Moab. Okay? So... What do his sons do, uh, uh, Malion and Kilion? Well, of course, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're, they're immersed into pagan culture. They don't care. So they marry themselves some Moabite women. What's the big deal about that? That is a big deal. They're not good little Jewish girls. They're Moabite women. And if you want to do the, the research, if you want to go back, these are the descendants of Sodom. Moab, the, the Moabites, Moab, the, the country of Moab was constantly at war with Israel. In Deuteronomy itself, it says, you can't be an Anamite or a Hittite or a Moabite and be in the presence of God. It's impossible. Yet, you know, Elimelech and sons, they said, okay, you know what, Let's, don't worry about that. Just marry whoever you want to be. You know, just make sure, make sure you're happy. And so they marry into, you know, Orpah and, and Ruth. They're not, they're not, well, you could say Christian, but we're not there yet, right? but they're not, they're not people of God. This is interesting, isn't it? Because then you have this other character, Naomi, and there's something about her where both Orpah and Ruth were attracted to her. Both Orpah and Ruth, as soon as their husbands died, they didn't split. Even Orpah says, look, I'm going to go with you. And, and Ruth talks her out of it. Not Ruth. And Naomi talks her out of it. But Ruth, unlike Orpah, she clung to Naomi. And that word clung in the Hebrew is a very intimate brace. But they usually use the, use the word between husband and wife. So if there was a, there was a, a, a relationship. It was beyond the, the mother and stepdaughter relationship. It was, there, was a, there was a friendship there. And that's something very important to know about your Christian life. You know, I could, I could give you the most amazing, inspirational message in the world, but if you don't have people sitting next to you that are your friends, that you can walk in faith, that you can have the discussions of faith with, you know, you're just going to get information from us. And you're not going to grow spiritually. You've got to have this type of, this bond, this friendship that they have. And so, Ruth says, I'm going to go where you go. My people, your people will be my people. 
and we're, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to die to protect you. She has this heart for Naomi that's intense. She knows that Naomi is done for. She's going to die. And she thinks, okay, look, the best I can do is, you know, maybe I'll go with her. I can protect her as, as best I possibly can. But you know what? I'm going to, you know, your people will be my people. And where you die, I'm going to die. And where you're going to be buried, I'm going to be buried. So what's in it for her? Hmm? Nothing. There's not a thing in it for her. It's like, there's no winning here. You know, at least Oprah has a chance. Ruth had a chance too. She could go back to her mother's home. She could maybe get remarried again. But if she goes, okay, catch this. If she goes with Naomi back to Israel, back to her enemy's land, look, these are, they're, they're, there's immigrants going both ways. There was, a, there was a multicultural marriage that, that people didn't like back in those days. If she goes back with Naomi, people are not going to like her. And Naomi knows this. It's going to be a dangerous, hostile environment. There's no way that she's going to prosper. Yet she chooses to protect her friend. And it even goes beyond that. Because if you listened... It wasn't just like, okay, your God will be my God. It wasn't like, okay, I'm just seeking, you know, I'm curious about your God. Your God's kind of cool. You're kind of cool. You know, I'm, let me, let me um, experiment with your God a little bit and see if he's better than my gods. I got a whole bunch of gods. Maybe it'd be more convenient if I just had one. That makes sense, right? That's not what's going on. She wasn't experimenting because she continues. She says, look, if I don't go and if I don't protect my friend... May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. And again, you'll read over this if you don't know the text. But it says, the, the word for Lord, when she says, may the Lord deal with me, she, the word in Hebrew is not Elohim. Elohim is the generic use for God. Like, you know, God, he, he made the, the planets and stuff. And, you know, God made the rocks. And that's how you use Elohim. It's the impersonal form of, of, of God. But she uses the word Lord, capital L, and it's actually Yahweh. She says, may Yahweh deal with me ever so severely. And Yahweh is the personal Hebrew expression of God. It is the one that talked to Moses at the burning bush. It is the one that Abraham felt when he was in the presence of God. It was that personal relationship. So here's what's really going on. Ruth has a personal relationship with God. She's a convert. She is a pagan convert. It's very rare in the Old Testament to have a pagan convert that goes into Judaism. But she knows the Lord, and she's faced with a very difficult but clear decision. The decision's clear. Do I continue in my relationship with Yahweh, or do I go back to the easy life in the land of Moab? See, there was something around the campfire with her and Naomi, maybe not those two sons that died, but there was something going around the campfire where she was introduced to a loving God, and she wanted it. She wanted more. And she was willing to give up everything to get it. She had, she, the, the decision was clear. Have God in my life, make God first in my life, or go back to the easy way of living, where I can make things happen on my own, where family is important and just makes sense. She chose 
the right path, but the harder path. When she did that, I got a very clear picture in my mind. When she said, your God will be my God, and where you go, I will go, and where you die, I'm willing to die. There's no good prospects here because Yahweh, I got to get to know this better. Yahweh. So when she does this, the way that I saw it was the whole universe stopped. Like God was up there doing God stuff, you know, snapping off universes, right? He does that. Like every second, right? It's expanding. Boo, yeah. So he's like, you know, Elohim. Elohim is just doing amazing God stuff. And all of a sudden, there's this, there's this pagan Moabite descendant of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot who says, I, I, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to serve my friend. I'm willing to sacrifice my life so I can know him better. And then all of a sudden, the universe goes, what did she just say? What did she just say? I know she's a Moabite, but I can work with that kind of faith. Oh, Father Abraham, he had some faith. He might be the father of faith, but Ruth is the mother of faith. There was no promise attached to Ruth's connection to God. At least Abraham had a promise, right? Abraham's promise was, you're going to be the father of many nations and your, your descendants are going to number the sands of the, of, the, of the shore and the stars in the sky and I'm going to increase upon you favor upon favor and upon favor. Abraham, don't you think this is a good deal? Don't you want to sign up and be in covenant with me? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. That's a good deal. I, that's a great deal, God. If I, if, I, if I join in covenant with you, I get lots of blessings and an increased favor. That was never presented to Ruth. You know what she signed up for? Pain, failure, death, yet a personal relationship with God. A personal, powerful relationship with God. There was, no, there was nothing con- attached. There were no conditions. She wasn't going to get anything out of the deal because there was no covenant deal proposed to her. Yet her faith, her statement, her, her ability to declare... I'm going to die where she dies because I want her God to be my God. I want her people to be my people. I, I want to leave. I want to leave th- this, this pagan lifestyle, this sickness that's in my heart. I want to leave it. I'm willing to be a foreigner. I'm willing to take a chance. I'm willing to take a risk in going into an, a hostile environment that doesn't like me, that will never accept me. I'm willing to lay down my life for my friend, and I'm willing to lay down my life for a relationship. And you know what that does? We're gonna, we'll spend more time looking at it next week. But what that does is it sets her up for favor. Lots of it. Favor upon favor upon favor. They do go back to the promised land. They, it's hard. Naomi can't do a thing. She's too old. She can't even work. She can't even gather up the scraps from the crops. Ruth is forced to glean, which means that she's got to, she's got to take what's left over. The, the Israelites could not, uh, they couldn't seek maximum profit from their crops. They couldn't let it yield 100% you know, full, so they had to leave a section. They had to leave a corner. They couldn't 
they couldn't harvest the whole thing. They had to leave the corner for the poor. And so Ruth, you know, she's just scraping up stuff. We'll look at it in detail next week. But she has the favor of a divine appointment. She's in, for some reason, she's in the right place at the right time to meet the right guy that's going to protect her. And we know this is very clear. In my NIV version, it says that Boaz is the guy, the right guy, the right time, the right place to protect her. It says, look, gal, you're a, you're a foreigner in a, in a difficult situation here. Um, it's not safe for you. Uh, my version says, you know, it's not safe or something like that. The true translation, the graphic translation is, you know what? If I don't look out for you, you're going to be raped and murdered. That's how it actually is translated. So you need to come under my protection and you need to go over here. So she gets favor. She gets a favor of protection. She gets a favor of provision. God, he, 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 she is able to get enough food to feed herself, but then some. She has extra left over. It's not just to survive. It's not just to get by. But she's able to take care of Naomi. She has the favor of God. And then we see with Boaz, she begins to have the favor of man. How do you know if you have God's favor? Do you have man's favor? See, Ruth is extremely obedient. She doesn't know why. Again, she's a pagan gal, right? She doesn't know why, but Ruth is extremely obedient. And obedience is a sign that, that, that you want God to pour out your favor upon him. In, in Luke, it says that Jesus, even Jesus, as a boy, he obeyed his parents. That's interesting, right? That's awkward. If, I mean, if I was Joseph and Mary, that would be very awkward to make God obey me. But it says it. Jesus obeyed his parents. And because he obeyed, because he was faithful, he increased in favor with both God and man. So if Jesus is willing to increase with, in favor, look at the, the, Jesus, God, right? We have a high Christology. God is willing to increase in favor with God and man. That's complicated, I know. Um, why we should seek the same. We should seek the same. We'll look into this again more next week. The whole point of the book. The book starts off really bad, right? It starts off with a famine. It starts off with death. It starts off with a huge failure, a huge moral failure between the brothers and the father. But I'm going to spoil it for you. I'm going to give you the ending right here. It ends very well. The story ends with a bountiful harvest in contrast to a famine. It ends with a huge victory and a huge blessing. A woman that is outcast and, and, and culturally is not going to fit in, that no, one, no one's ever going to want her. Well, she marries the richest guy in town. She has a huge victory. She has a huge win. So when, once they started off with failure, we've got a great big win. And then, of course, it starts off with death. Three prominent, well-named men die. And it ends with life. It ends with a birth. It ends with a new child. This child takes on that name 
of Elimelech, God is king. He gets placed in Naomi's lap. And the women of the society say something very special. They say, Ruth. Ruth is better than seven sons. God was your redeemer. See, everything, even with our society, but everything is built around family. Back then, it was all built around family. You didn't marry for love. You didn't marry for sex. You didn't, you didn't have this, this chivalrous idea that we inherited from the Middle Ages. No, you married for survival. You married for family. You married to, you, to carry on your name. You married so that you could have some cheap labor with kids. Maybe you do that. I don't know. <laughs> Get those kids to work. Unplug that TV. Get them to do the dishes. That's what they're for, right? All right. <laughs> Sophia says, Daddy, I don't want to be a slave. You make me clean my room. I don't want to be a slave anymore. I know. It's hilarious. Where was I going with this? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Everything was built around family. God strips it all away. He just takes it all away. Says, you know what? It's not about you know, family. Yeah, it's important. It's key. It's central. But that's not what's important is the relationship with Yahweh. What's important is the relationship with the personal God. You see... The end of the story, they end up rich and famous in Israel. Because of Ruth, Ruth's statement that says, where you go, I'll go. I'll make your God my God. I'm willing to die for it. I, if there's a promise, if there's a favor, if there's something attached to it, I'll take it. But I'm going all in. I'm going for broke. I don't care if I die. I'm going to do the right thing, even though it's hard. Because of her declaration of that kind of faith, for somebody that didn't know God like we do. Did you know that? We have, much, we have a larger advantage than she ever did. Yet she was able to tap into something that we didn't have. Because of that, her lineage became rich financially, famous throughout the whole land. And if you continue to read, her son Obed was the, was the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, and David is the ancestor to our Savior. And then what we see is, is they call Boaz the kinship redeemer. So he's, I can't get into this. But he has the place to redeem the situation, and he does. He is the protector. He is the provider. He, he, he redeems the situation. He actually buys the land that they lost back. The bank took away their house. He bought it back for them. He didn't have to. He spent all of his money to do it. It's like Jesus. He does it for us. He buys us back. But you see, there's also another redeemer. Ruth takes on the model of redeemer as well because she is willing to lay her life down. And if you put Boaz and Ruth together and you mess them together, you get a really clear picture of the, the hidden redeemer who is Jesus. The story is about Jesus. And what he did on the cross. 
See, for Ruth to sacrifice her entire life, to say, look, I'm willing to die, and I'm not going to get anything out of it. You know that that's what Jesus did too? Did you know that there was no guarantee that when Jesus faced the cross that humanity was going to accept him, that we'd be sitting here in Granite Creek saying, I love you, Jesus. Did you know that there was no guarantee for him to do that? The whole, all of humanity could have rejected Jesus, but he was willing to take the chance, and he died for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could enter into eternal life with God. There was no guarantee. Look who he had to work with, the apostles. They were selfish. They were greedy. They, were, they had this popularity contest going on. It was, a, it was a ministry built on personalities. Jesus is like, oh, man, you guys don't even understand the concept of sacrificing the cross. You're too busy arguing with yourselves. You don't get it. How am I going to do this? Thomas. Thomas's very salvation was on the bubble. He saw the rec- resurrected Jesus. And then he's like, I'm having a hard time with this. I need proof. I need facts. I'm going to stick my fingers in his side. His faith was on the bubble. He came this close to not entering into God's kingdom. That close. Jesus rebuked him for his lack of faith. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a done deal, folks. Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything. God was willing to sacrifice everything and not get anything in return. He didn't, he didn't know for sure that he was going to get us, but he got us. In fact, he went to hell and got the others. He's out to get us. He's out to sacrifice everything. He doesn't care if he gets rewarded for it or not. Ruth understood this. There's more to come next week if I could have the ushers to come up to the front. Uh, Next week, we're going to take a look at some very practical issues of God's favor. How to, band and ushers, come up to the front, please. Uh, How to receive God's favor on a practical level. Ruth, she just did some very specific practical things where God just poured favor upon favor upon favor. The end result, again, she ended up rich and famous, right? Uh, How many people want to be rich and famous? (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's cool. I like it. Because some of the, well, the worst thing that God could do for you right now is to give you a lot of money. Do you realize that? Some of us in this room, like if God gave you a ton of money and blessed you with a lot of finances, that's the worst thing that he could do for you. Because it's going to lead you away from him. Because you don't feel like you're going to rely on him anymore. And God doesn't give Ruth and Naomi a ton of money up front. He, he gives them divine appointments. He gives them protection. He gives them... He sets them up. He gives them exactly what they need right when they need it. That's God's favor, right? If he can trust you with the little things, he's going to bless you with the big things. But he's got to trust you with the little things first. I know it to be true. I know it to be true. So if you're whining, if you're complaining, if you're struggling, you have to ask yourself, can God really trust me? What are my motives? Do I have the motive of a Kilion and a Malion? Or am I just in it to be in God's presence like a Ruth? That's what he wants. That's the heart of the issue. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just thank you for a faithful group of people that come out when they're tired. That they've had a long Thanksgiving weekend, and they're here in church. They're here giving you praise. They're here giving you honor. And God, right now, again, I pray that you will pour out your your favor on us, that you will shine that favor light on everyone, that we will put on the garment of praise, that we will wear that crown of favor, God. I pray that we will no longer walk forward in insecurities and fears and 
trying to manipulate and control the situation. God, I pray that we will, we will be like Ruth and we'll just say, look, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up on you, God. I'm not going to give up on my friends. I'm not going to give up on, on the people of God. No matter how difficult it might be, I'm not giving up. God, what she did was so beautiful. It's not the book of Boaz. It's the book of Ruth. Her faith got your attention. May we pray prayers. May we make declarations that will get your attention, Lord. Amen.